For her, the call of service meant caring for others, something she spent her life doing, and in doing so, paved the way for other trailblazing women in the process. She saw education as her tool to improve the conditions of other women, and in doing so, created a lasting legacy. Welcome to I Was Only Doing My Job, an Australian military history podcast. This is the life, service, and legacy of Principal Matron Captain Grace Margaret Wilson, CPE, who served as a nurse in both the First and Second World Wars. Grace Margaret Wilson was born on the 25th of June, 1879, in South Brisbane, Queensland. She is the eldest of five children to John Pearson Wilson, a clerk, and his wife, Fanny Campbell, both from Scotland, and was educated at the Brisbane Girls Grammar School. In 1905, at the age of 26, Wilson entered the Brisbane Hospital as a probationary nurse and gained her nursing certificate in 1908. While at the Brisbane Hospital, Wilson was also the first winner of the prestigious gold medal for nursing excellence before subsequently travelling to London for her midwifery certifications at the Queen Charlotte's Lying-In Hospital. Lying-In Hospitals is an older term for maternity hospitals, which related to the practice of the time where pregnant women were secluded immediately before and after childbirth. Wilson subsequently worked at the National Hospital for the Paralyzed and Epileptic in London before returning to Australia in July 1914 at the outbreak of the First World War. Upon returning to Australia, Wilson took up the position of matron of the Brisbane Hospital. In October that year, she joined the Australian Army Nursing Service, an Army Reserve Unit, and was appointed to the post of Principal Matron of the 1st Military District, the military administrative centre that encompassed both Queensland and the Northern Territory. Though she wouldn't be in that position for long, before she formally joined the Australian Imperial Force on the 15th of April, 1915, and was assigned to the position of Principal Matron of the 3rd Australian General Hospital. Much like Matron Vivian Bullwinkle, who I covered in Episode 3 of Season 1, who served in the Second World War as part of the 2nd 10th Australian General Hospital, Matron Grace Wilson, 20 years before her, held an honorary rank, in Wilson's case, that of Captain. The reasoning for this was one of legality. Under the 1903 Defence Act, women could not be a part of the Australian Imperial Force, and since nurses couldn't be members of the armed forces themselves without violating their non-combatant status, according to the army, they were considered auxiliary civilians, which meant that their rank was purely symbolic. It allowed them to dine in the officers' mess, and forbade them from fraternising with the orderlies and other ranks, supposedly under their charge, but technically didn't give them any actual authority over them and in all things considered, they were no different than the other ranks when it came to recognition and pay. This disparity caused a great deal of friction once the Australian General Hospitals were deployed to the war, and while nurses' ranks were initially acknowledged in 1916, and given substantive not honorary status in 1943, they would not formally join the Australian Army until 1951. Wilson, along with the 3rd AGH, departed Sydney aboard the troop ship RMS Multan, on the 15th of May 1915, bound for England, and arrived on the 27th of June with the intention of being deployed to France. However, at this point, due to rising casualties on the Gallipoli campaign, the decision was made that the 3rd AGH would be redeployed to Mudros in the Greek island of Lemnos to support the operations there, and in doing so would shorten the transit time for wounded soldiers from one and a half days back to Egypt to five hours to Mudros Harbour, a move that would vastly increase the survivability but also save the steady stream of hospital ships and troop transports the perilous journey in U-boat-infested waters. The three AGH would briefly put into Alexandria, Egypt, to take on supplies and personnel for the new hospital site, and it would be here that Wilson would discover that one of her brothers 
Lance Corporal Graham Blang Wilson, who was a part of the 2nd Light Horse Regiment, had been killed at Quinn's Post in Gallipoli four days after Grace had originally departed Sydney. Wilson would arrive on Lemnos on the 8th of August to conditions that she declared too awful for words, caused by issues in supplying and establishing the hospital. By accounts, their equipment had been delayed and the British authorities seemed ill-interested in assisting a colonial hospital. There were a few tents and mattresses, no beds, and only spirit lamps for cooking and sterilizing. Part of this was due to the fact that the initial intent of the hospital Lemnos was to treat those soldiers with minor wounds who could be sent back to the fight relatively quickly. But this plan failed almost as soon as it started, just by the sheer weight of the wounded men being evacuated off the beach. Wilson encouraged the nurses to deal with these primitive conditions and soon created order out of chaos, which was crucial as the first boatloads of casualties, the majority were wounded men from the failed August offensive, started arriving, and soon resulting in the hospital treating 900 patients at a time with insufficient food, water, sanitation, and without adequate accommodations. If you want a glimpse of what the experience might have been like, albeit in a dramatized format, I do recommend finding a copy of the miniseries Anzac Girls, which follows the experiences of the nurses of the 3rd AGH, and in particular, Matron Wilson, which was in fact how she was brought to my attention in the first place. Following the disaster of the August offensive, the type of casualties the hospital was receiving changed. While the wounded would still be arriving, they were starting to be outnumbered by the scores of soldiers suffering from dysentery and paratythoid caused by poor sanitation standards on the peninsula, which quickly spread to the Lemnos due to the lack of adequate freshwater reserves meaning that a number of nurses, including the matron of the Canadian hospital on the island, succumbed to the diseases. Despite all these difficulties, the hospital's mortality rate was only 2%, which considering it existed in a time before the invention of modern surgical practices and antibiotics is impressive. If the conditions on Lemnos were harsh, the military chauvinism of the officers stationed there only served to exacerbate it. For most of the Edwardian upper-class men of the time, the mere thought of having women so close to the fighting was an affront to them, who argued that the strictly male orderlies could do the job just as good as the nurses, which was an ongoing point of contention throughout the war, with officers repeatedly overruling the nurses' instructions and making it clear how unnecessary they felt the nurses were. In Lemnos, however, the largest culprit to this was the initial commanding officer of the 3rd AGH, Colonel Thomas Henry Fiershe, who regularly clashed with Wilson, who in a position as matron would draw her into conflict with him regularly. Fiershe was a peculiarly fatalistic man by accounts, he had fully expected half of his complement to succumb to disease, nurses included. Despite this, Wilson and her nurses continued to persevere, as the casualties would again change in late November-December, at the tail end of the Gallipoli campaign, where the wounded were now suffering from severe frostbite and gangrene, brought on by a lack of winterized clothing or adequate accommodations. During this time, the hospital was visited by Lieutenant General Richard Herbert Joseph Bertie Featherston, the Director General of the Australian Army Medical Services, and while he was appalled by the deplorable conditions of the hospital, he did personally commend Wilson for her work, control, and leadership, stating that the matron of this hospital deserves the highest praise and commendation, and under her whole nursing staff have done wonderfully fine work. By the middle of December, the decision that had been held by so many since the start of the campaign was finally acknowledged, that the Gallipoli campaign was a failure, and the Mediterranean Expeditionary Force had to be evacuated and we completed over three weeks with the last Australians leaving the line on the night of the 19th of December. Considering predictions that over half the troops on the peninsula would be massacred on the beaches, the hospitals on Lemnos were put on high alert. However, it was seen by some as a miracle that the whole of Anzac evacuation was completed without any fatalities. This was partly due to the work of Private William Scurry, who was covered in episode 11 of season 1. 
The same, however, was not true of the British and French physicians who suffered casualties trying to replicate the Anzac success. Along with the scores of survivors of the campaign, Wilson and the nurses of the 3rd AGH celebrated Christmas on Lemnos and were dined on turkey and champagne thanks to visiting sailors. However, considering the poor quality of rations the nurses had been subjected to for the past five months, meant that most of that rich food was wasted on them. On New Year's Day 1916, Wilson was recommended for the Royal Red Cross First Class for distinguished service in the field, which would be gazetted on the 2nd of May, and was offered the post of Matron-in-Chief at AIF headquarters, an appointment she turned down in favour of staying with the 3rd AGH. On the 17th of January 1916, Wilson and the remaining staff of the hospital boarded the hospital ship Oxfordshire, bound for Egypt, arriving in Alexandria on the 27th. When there, they transferred to Abbasia and occupied the residences of an old harem for approximately eight months. During that time, Wilson would be mentioned in dispatches three times, the 5th of May, 21st of June, and the 13th of July, for her administrative work at the hospital as part of the Mediterranean Expeditionary Force. It was also in May that her honorary rank of captain was recognised, and her red tibbet, or caplet, would gain three stars of an army captain, even if her pay would still remain that of half of a regular captain in the service. On the 25th of September, Wilson embarked with the 3rd AGH from Alexandria for England to join the British Expeditionary Force, and in doing so became under the direct control of the British High Command. Arriving on the 5th of October, she moved with the hospital first to Brighton, where they operated the Kitchener War Hospital until the 11th of April 1917. After this, they would move to Abbeville, France with the rest of the 3rd AGH, and would initially be operating out of tents and huts as purpose-built facilities were being constructed. In May, the hospital was about to admit gas to patients for initial treatment before transferring them to other facilities. It was also here that Wilson had her first direct interaction with the professional military nursing services. While she had immense respect for the all-volunteer New Zealand Army Nursing Service and the fully incorporated Canadian Army Nursing Service from her time in Lemnos, she did not have the same level of adoration for the nursing sisters of the Queen Alexandria's Imperial Nursing Service that some of her colleagues did. In her diaries, she regularly commented about how the British nurses seemed more fixated on the care of equipment and the filling out of military forms than the actual care of the wounded. This kind of cultural difference seemed to separate Australian nursing sisters from their imperial brethren. Australian and New Zealander nurses were regularly reported to be more sociable and physically engaged with their patients beyond the medical care they received, which in turn allowed them to notice subtle changes in their patients' conditions and had the added benefit of improving morale. On the 4th of September, Wilson was called back to England and assigned to the 2nd Australian Auxiliary Hospital in Southall, a hospital that had been raised initially as a clearing station, but by the time Wilson joined it, they had begun to specialise in the care of amputees and the fitting of artificial limbs. While she was at the 2nd Auxiliary Hospital, she also took up the post of Temporary Matron-in-Chief of the AIF as the current matron, Evelyn Connors, went on leave. Although Wilson enjoyed the administrative experience, she longed to be back with her family in Abbeville. Returning there on the April 1918, by judgment, tact, and ability, she ensured the high standard of conduct. She would stay with the 3rd AGH until the end of the war, and for her continued service, she would again be mentioned in dispatches in December, which was accompanied by her appointment to the commander of the military division of the most excellent order of the British Empire, for valuable services rendered in connection with military operations in France and Flanders. Oddly though, the notification of this appointment, Wilson is still listed as the Matron-in-Chief of the Australian Army Nursing Service, a position she wasn't holding at the time of this appointment. For Wilson, the end of the war didn't mean an immediate return home. 
While the Australian Imperial Force was in the process of being demobilised and returned home, the scores of wounded and recuperating soldiers still needed to be cared for before they were repatriated either to England or Australia. The third AGH finally closed for admissions on the 16th of April 1919 and was instructed to be ready for withdrawal from France on the May 20th. The nursing staff returned to England in parties of 10, beginning on the 17th of May, and the last party with Principal Matron Grace Margaret Wilson proceeded on the 23rd of May, whereupon she reported to the Matron-in-Chief for reassignment to the 3rd Australian Auxiliary Hospital in Dartford, Kent. Aside from taking several months of overdue and much-needed leave, the main focus of the hospital was the growing issue of the 1919 influenza pandemic, now referred to as the Spanish flu, with a large proportion of her patients suffering influenza or bronchopneumonia. The 3rd Australian Auxiliary Hospital ceased to function on the 28th of August, and from that point on until the 17th of October, Wilson and the remaining staff of the hospital were responsible for preparing the facility for use by British authorities. Her last duty in Europe on the 17th of October 1919 was when she was ordered to report to the matron-in-chief for disposal. A month later, she left England bound for Australia aboard the HMAT Orsova, finally arriving in Brisbane on the 9th of January 1920. Her appointment to the Australian Imperial Force would end on the 3rd of April that year. In November 1920, she became the matron of the Children's Hospital Melbourne, and while there, continued to fight for the improvements and recognition of the nursing staff like she had done in Lemnos. To her credit, she even succeeded in winning trainees a normal wage. Prior to this point, nurses were self-funded during their training. In 1922, while at the Children's Hospital, she became openly critical of the hospital committee and resigned to take up the management of the private hospital Somerset House in East Melbourne. In 1925, sadly, her father, John Pearson Wilson, passed away in Brisbane at the age of 77. Four years later, she'd become matron-in-chief of the Australian Army Nursing Service, which, following the end of the Great War, had reverted to being a reserve unit, and in 1929, she'd be one of only two Australian nurses from the period to become the recipient of the Florence Nightingale Medal, the highest international distinction presented to a nurse and is awarded to nurses or nursing aides for exceptional courage and devotion to the wounded, sick or disabled, or to civilian victims of a conflict or disaster, or exemplary services or a creative and pioneering spirit in the areas of public health and nursing education. At the start of 1933, Wilson would go on to become the matron of the Alfred Hospital, which to this day is a significant medical institution in Victoria. While at the Alfred, she continued her personal quest of improving the conditions of her fellow nurses, organising training school committees and introducing a probationist orientation program, as well as overseeing the first Commonwealth scheme for training nursing tutors, which potentially is the reason why the hospital has become one of the leading tertiary teaching hospitals in Victoria today. Four years later, in 1937, she would travel to London for the coronation of King George VI and would lead the AANS contingent. Upon the outbreak of the Second World War in September 1939, 60-year-old Wilson was called up for full-time position in the army and resigned from her post at the Alfred Hospital. She served on the staff of Director General of Medical Services, Major General Rupert Downs, in Army Headquarters as the Army's Matron-in-Chief, and once the Australian Army Nursing Service was re-raised as part of the Australian Imperial Force on the 24th of September 1940, Wilson was appointed to the post of Matron-in-Chief, making her the senior-most nurse of the 2nd AIF like she was in its predecessor. On the 7th of October that year, she embarked for the Middle East once more aboard the troop ship HMAT New Zealand, a Dutch steamer-converted troop transport. Arriving on the 3rd of November in Palestine, she was immediately assigned to the hospital ship Mananda, 
were there, she would work diligently before falling ill on the 30th of April, 1941. She was admitted to the 8th British General Hospital and would be reclassified as temporarily unfit for military service and sent home to Australia on the 12th of May. She would formally leave the 2nd Australian Imperial Force on the 3rd of September. However, due to her experience, her service during the Second World War did not end here. Once she had fully recovered, she was attached to the Australian Red Cross Society and oversaw an expansion of its activities. She was then appointed to the Executive Officer of the Department of Manpower Directorate Victoria's Nursing Control Sector on the 15th of September 1943. In this role, she controlled the staffing of all hospitals in the state of Victoria and had a personal staff of four trained nurses and 11 office workers. Wilson deservedly retired at the end of the Second World War, but kept active in voluntary pursuits. These included the Royal Victorian Trained Nurses Association, Royal Victorian College of Nursing, the Australian Red Cross Society and the Girl Guides Association. In addition, she worked as a trustee for the Shrine of Remembrance in Melbourne and the Edith Cavill Trust Fund. In 1953, Wilson would also become the first female life member of the Returned and Services League of Australia. Owing to the requirement that nurses at the time had to either be widowed or single, at the age of 75, Grace Margaret Wilson married longtime beau Robert Wallace Bruce Campbell in London on the 12th of January 1954 at Holy Trinity Parish Church, Roehampton. Sadly, she would pass on three years to the day of her wedding at the Heidelberg Repatriation General Hospital in Victoria on the 12th of January 1957. Grace Margaret Campbell, nee Wilson, was the same age her father was when he, he passed at 77. She was one of the first women accorded full military honours at her funeral at Christ Church in South Yarra before she was cremated. Wilson's medals and uniform from the First World War are placed on permanent display at the Australian War Memorial in 2014, complete with the unit patch of the 3rd Australian General Hospital, a unit that she's had the closest connection with of any of her postings in either war. Following her death, her legacy has been immortalised in film in the aforementioned Anzac Girls drama series, also in nursing scholarships in both her home state of Queensland and her home and later life in Victoria, and she's regularly referenced as one of the pivotal members of the fledgling Australian Army Nursing Service and nursing as a whole. Wilson had a rare quality which inspired deep and lasting loyalty. A self-disciplined leader, she had a sympathetic ear for her staff, believing it a privilege to help soldiers and she was a proud member of the AANS. She, was a great, she had a great gift of living. It is fitting that her life, service, and legacy will be released during International Nurses Week, whose theme this year is Nurses That Make a Difference, and I honestly cannot think of any other nurse who would be so equally qualified for that mantle as then Principal Matron Grace Margaret Wilson. Thanks for listening to the I Was Only Doing My Job podcast, a Doc Network production. This episode was written, produced, and audio engineered by me, Ross Manuel, with additional research done by Laurie Favell. I'd really appreciate it, and it would help out the show, if you took some time to share this with a friend, or leave a review on Spotify, or Google Podcasts, or iTunes, or anywhere that you listen to podcasts, as it really helps other people find the show. If you want to know more about today's episode, with photos, show notes, and transcripts, head to www.thedocnetwork.net and follow the show on IWODMJ on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Don't worry, there's a link in the show notes. If you want to follow me for history-related hijinks and other nerdery, you can follow me on practically everything at Doc Winters. Once again, thanks for listening and catch you next time. Bye!